Well, hello again. Uh, So, I want to start off with just saying that this episode was written on the new moon. (laughs) And here we are at the peak of the full moon. (laughs) Because I'm trying. (laughs) Um, But this, the focus for this episode is... Well... I have books from the library and they do in fact have to be, they have to get turned in again. (laughs) And I have so many notes in this particular book. Um, I have been reading Heaven's Net is Wide, which as I stumbled through the internet finding sequels and trying to figure out the order of the series is a prequel. So I started off with the prequel not knowing that in between the prequel was a three-part series and then a sequel. <laughs> we got lost. Okay. But I took it took forever to read the prequel because it was making me feel so many things and because it was heavy and it was stressful and I had started it once already, ended up having to turn the book back in. And the next time I went to the library, I saw it again, plus some of the other books in the series. So I grabbed them all and um, decided I would figure out how they fell in the actual chronology later. (laughs) But I was determined to finish it this time because I love the way this is written. So I'm reading, all of this is sparked, this entire episode is sparked by Heaven's Net is Wide um, by Leanne Hearn. Um, Leanne, L-I-A-N-H-E-A-R-N, Leanne Hearn, um, which is a pseudonym, (laughs) but, um, whoever they are, I'm grateful because I actually really love this series. I love the way they write and I love they, I love the way they examine the human condition, um, I'm a fiction bitch, okay? (laughs) I read fiction. I adore fiction. Most of my learning through reading has been through fiction. Now, I will not talk down onto biographies or how-tos or self-help or any of that, but that is not the best way for me to learn. (laughs) I learn through experience and I learn through the arts. And most of the things I learn about the world are through learning about the human condition. I mean, it's just, it's just a priority for me. Now I'm forever curious about facts and figures, forever curious, but like my deepest, most long lasting learning happens, um, through examining and understanding the human condition and understanding and examining myself. Uh, we have talked about that on this podcast before. Um, so I was reading and finally coming to, you know, wrapping up Heaven's Net is Wide, finally. Um, and thinking about, um, some of the prophetic and psychic dreaming that I do, um, when it comes to my loved ones, be they family or friends. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Um, because I mean, I did write this, I did write this episode, uh, as the new moon approached and I was feeling very open and I was feeling very receptive and, you know, I, (laughs) I did have a, uh, a prophetic dream, uh, during that time, um, which, you know, we might talk, I guess we could talk about, (laughs) um, but as far as this opening, I think what I, what I was driven by in this episode was just sort of an openness, the general openness and transparency of self and how that translates into, um, clearly seeing others, uh, which again, I talk about a lot here. So, uh, (laughs) sometimes I have, very pointed dreams about family or loved ones and I always know the difference 
between dreaming and seeing because when I wake up, I feel the need to reach out to the individuals that uh, made an appearance in the dream. And it always turns out that um, something reflective of the dream had actually occurred or um, they were thinking some of the things that were reflected directly in the dream or they needed to be um, checked on or um, seen and heard in that moment and just by following the trail of the dream which ends up being something like a something like a vision I guess or a direct connection to that person and uh, it I think consciously you have to be open yourself for that to happen but unconsciously for me I think it just I don't know if it seems random <laughs> unconsciously it seems random the dreaming the prophetic dreaming seems pretty random um, I don't necessarily make any efforts to tap in to my family or loved ones in that regard but consciously yes I do very much believe that you see others better when you are open and transparent for yourself and for your own viewing and understanding um so in that vein I don't know in, throughout reading this book in its entirety like I don't know every chapter I felt like I wanted to stop and digest something in the chapter and it's actually I wanted to get this episode out before I return the book because I have like mad notes floating throughout here um until I get to like the end to middle when I'm just like really like reading for my life devouring it (laughs) as a story um so we will go in um and I will start I don't know, this the episode is organized uh, through the notes that I have in this book. And I don't know, I kind of really dig the idea of leaving notes in books. <laughs> so I'm probably going to leave these in here if nobody is mad about it. <laughs> but that's just like my romantic, my romantic um, view of the library and trips to the library. Like, I like seeing little bits and pieces of the people who have read it before. Side note, um, can we bring back the, uh, the little cards in the back where you could see people's dates and names because I kind of love it and (laughs) I miss that little, I don't know, shared sisterhood of the traveling pants journey (laughs) that you have like with having people's names signed in the back on the library card thingy. What is that thing called? I forget. I forget what it's even called. They don't use them anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I'll go on and get into this (laughs) Um, and get into our next segment. Okay, (laughs) now we are here. For the mental mukbang so let us digest um so again um i am speculating on heaven's net is wide by leanne hearn um so discipline hmm. since this is all an introspection um <laughs> i am uh thinking of myself and contemplating my own condition so discipline came to mind and was illustrated uh, on page 63 so I will do a little bit of an excerpt reading here let's see birds were starting to call from the trees a thrush burst into song he opened his eyes briefly and realized it was lighter. He could make out the shape of the hut, the trees beyond Matsuda's figure sitting above him. He could not help but thinking of the morning meal, his mouth filled suddenly with water. In Haggai, at this moment, the kitchens would be coming to life, the fire stoked, soup boiling, the cooks slicing vegetables, the maids preparing tea. The whole army of servants that maintained the life he led would now be awake. 
working deftly, silently. All his life he had been able to command them, even in times of famine, after natural disasters such as typhoons, droughts, or earthquakes, when many in the middle country had starved, he had not gone hungry. Now he had given all that away. He had become like one of them, dependent entirely on the will of another. He trusted Matsuda. He believed the man could teach him many things he needed to know. He submitted his reluctance his reluctant will to the masters, let the thoughts of food float into his mind and float out again, breathed in, breathed out. His mind stilled, like a green horse that finally accepts all its bucking and rearing will not unseat the rider. He saw how all desires all longings can either be indulged or allowed to dissipate. He grasped what the master meant about choice. In the stillness came a sense of his spirit, a wave on the surface of the ocean. Calm flooded over him. And together with passion, compassion for all beings, compassion for himself, reverence, and love for Matsuda. The part that strikes me is that he saw how all desires, all longings, can either be indulged or allowed to dissipate. He grasped what the master meant about choice, and in the stillness came a, a sense of his spirit, his spirit being a wave on the surface of the ocean, and thus a calm flooded over him. Together with compassion for all beings, compassion for himself, and reverence and love for Matsuda, his teacher. I... Uh, uh, when I tell you <laughs> that I had to stop, I had to stop and close the book. And I just kept thinking, oh my shit, yes. All desires and all longings can either be indulged or allowed to dissipate. It's like um, in the other book I've mentioned, Kali Rising, um, they speak about the phenomenon of realizing a habit excuse me and it's only vaguely related realizing a habit but not berating yourself for this habit until it no longer brings you joy and at that moment you can decide to continue to indulge or you can decide to figure out what it is that would actually bring joy again like <laughs> and it's so <laughs> it sounds so simple and like beautiful and and poignant but shit it is that is so difficult to recognize a desire and recognize in that moment of acknowledgement that you can indulge or allow it to pass the same way that we are taught in meditation to allow the thoughts to occur and then let them pass without either ruminating them or berating ourselves for having them allow them to occur and then allow them to pass i have been <laughs> trying to figure out my own discipline for like a couple years now like seriously trying to figure out my own discipline learning myself seeing where I fall short seeing what motivates me seeing what improves my discipline like I've, I've really been trying to figure it out and like allow myself to be better not make myself better but allow myself to be better um and this this moment in heaven's net is wide where Shigeru is up in a temple somewhere entrusting his peace of mind and physical and spiritual training to a teacher a master and struggling with his own restlessness and desire to 
instantly be better, be everything he thinks he ought to be, be everything that the people who love him and look up to him want him to be. And to release all of that and really see himself and see that his strength and his discipline and his courage are all there to be accepted. Um, But first, he's got to recognize the choice the choice that that is life life is a choice over and over again you choose you choose all day every day is a series of choices and every series of choices is a chapter in which you as a character are growing and moving forward ideally (laughs) um and so reading that reading that all desires and all longings can either be indulged or allowed to dissipate and recognizing that recognizing that choice can bring so much peace because you don't have to fret you need not fret on that because Ultimately, you know the choice is yours. You have the control and you have to decide whether or not you have the control of the time or whether you need to gain control of your choices and come off of autopilot, perhaps. Um, Not allow your choices to be solely influenced by other people, perhaps. Um, I don't know. It just made me feel a little bit, I guess, empowered in my own quest for discipline and again much like the principle of meditation where you you don't berate yourself for errant thoughts and you don't ruminate on errant thoughts but you allow them to occur and then allow them to pass so that you can truly find that stillness that's waiting on the other side of all these random thoughts waiting for you to allow the stillness by allowing (laughs) by allowing the other things to pass. I don't know, it it struck me. It struck me a lot. Um, and it was the first moment where I thought, oh my God, I adore this book. <laughs> uh, anyway, so in that vein of thought, um, knowledge of self. Uh, the next point where I felt compelled to stop and leave a note um, was on page 82 of heaven's gate is wide or heaven's net is wide um knowledge of self acknowledging and understanding your weaknesses actualizing your strengths and then therefore finding greater capacity to fulfill your potential um so page 82 i wrote line 15 so i has i guess i have to count now <laughs> Uh huh. Okay. So this is from the previous passage. This is Matsuda, the teacher, um, speaking to Shigeru about his family and things that run in his family, the inherited traits. Um, the strengths of your family are courage, compassion, warmth of feeling, fair mindedness. Their weaknesses are recklessness, soft-heartedness, infatuation, and indecision. Each weakness is the shadow of each strength, Shigeru said quietly. Yes, indeed. You must see how your father's sense of justice too often leads him into indecisiveness. He sees everyone's point of view and wants to appear fair to them all. Possibly he cares too much about what people think of him. He desires his brother's good opinion. In return, they despise him. So the key, the key in that passage, I believe, is that every weakness is the shadow of a strength. This is the epitome of like going into an interview and them asking you what your weaknesses are, and you're like, mm, my weaknesses are bloop here, my strengths flipped over. Because um, I think that's such a common phenomenon, and there's like a there's a sense of power in recognizing your weaknesses and knowing where they reflect great strengths or great potential for strengths um and it takes 
a lot of self-knowledge and awareness to see it from either direction. See your weaknesses as strengths, see your strengths as, as where they weaken you. Um, I personally do actually, actually, factually uh, find myself resonating with the strengths and weaknesses listed for the Otori family. Um, courage, compassion, warmth of feeling, fair-mindedness, but also a sort of recklessness with with the giving of my heart and feelings and self um, and energy, a soft-heartedness. Um, I feel tender for people and an infatuation, <laughs> a tendency, a tendency toward infatuation, which, you know, I don't want to bring Zodiac into this super soon, but I mean, I'm a Libra. <laughs> I stay infatuated. Okay. Um, and also indecision, obviously, again, you have dragged in your lifetime, you have dragged a Libra for being indecisive. I know you have, you don't even have to prescribe to Zodiac signs in order to have dragged a Libra for being indecisive. I know this of myself, but I do also know that it does truly come from a place of wanting to see both sides of a coin, wanting to really understand the consequences and benefits for each choice that I might make in that particular situation. And that plus time plus other people equals indecisiveness. (laughs) So I really actually did resonate personally with the strengths and weaknesses and how they reflected and shadowed each other in this passage. Um, but again, uh, I do very much, um, find strength and find my roots in self-awareness and self-knowledge. So I, I am always looking at the shadow of a strength and I am always looking at the reflection, um, of a strength in a weakness because I know that balance is not a noun, it's a verb, and I'm always aiming for it, as we all, at, at our essence, are aiming for balance. Um, and it's a matter of oftentimes how much we put into the attempt of balance <laughs> and, like, how much research of self we put into it and how much observation through experimentation and experience we put into the act of trying to balance. And if you're not really putting a lot into those things, the balance act kind of gets stagnant. Um, so I, I don't know. I really appreciated the, uh, the way that that look at weaknesses and strengths and how weaknesses can help look knowing your weaknesses can help you actualize your strength and recognize like a greater capacity of being of self um sort of like the light and the dark the dark allows you to see the light and the positive allows you to see the negative and vice versa you know it it's all there's always another side there's always a a an opposite extreme there's always um a perspective shift present on any given issue on any given um trait or characteristic or idea there's always there's always a perspective (laughs) that you can either take and acknowledge and learn from or ignore shy away from um be ignorant of so for me, I, I value um, looking at things from different perspectives. And oftentimes when I fall short in my communication or in my understanding, it's because I'm not, excuse me, I'm not either allowing or aware of a different perspective or I haven't looked into it deep enough. Uh, I'm at my best when I see as many of them as possible. I'm at my weakest when... Even though it's what I really want to do, I, I'm not actually seeing something from a different perspective. So uh, that has come up in actual communication discussions with actual persons in my life. <laughs> Even like despite 
me always wanting to see the other side of the coin and see the another perspective sometimes I don't and when I don't that's when I'm at my weakest communication wise that's when I'm at my weakest emotionally it's I mean you have to be able to see the other sides of things and it's not always one and two sometimes it's a multi-faced die so or dice I guess that's okay we're not shooting craps um so yeah I I very much appreciated that passage um so here uh as it often does I do come to points of um thinking of my own personal spirituality when I'm thinking about my self-awareness um and I actually I'm looking at the notes <laughs> I'm looking at the notes for this episode and I made a note to myself to look up the meaning of actualization um <laughs> so before I go into the next thing because I have actualization through um self-awareness and spirituality uh so I, I I'm assuming I meant actualization through uh self-awareness um and actualization of uh, a fuller potential of self and being um so i am currently looking at the free dictionary definition of actualization which is a noun making real or giving the appearance of reality actualization realization creating by mental acts the acts of creating something by thinking which sounds a lot like manifestation if i do say so myself um but I did make a point of writing the word actualization a lot in this episode. I'm not sure where I was. I usually write the date for these things, but I <laughs> I actually did. I don't have the date at the top of the page, which is weird. Um, so I don't know what it was that was leading me or compelling me to use the word actualization so much. Um, but it, the definition does sound a lot like manifestation. And that's also something that I've been talking about a lot, just recognizing the power of words and speaking, speaking into existence, things being really the act of claiming potential that's already there sort of. So, (laughs) um, so in this next segment I have from page one where we go where we go where we go there it is uh let's see one two three four five six seven eight did i need to count that that's the beginning of a new paragraph anyway <laughs> um so this is a point where Shigeru is looking at again the weaknesses of his family speaking specifically of his father Shigemori who has become increasingly religious while uh while overseeing this particular country in 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 these three lands in in this fictional story um Shigeru has spent the last year absorbing the austere teachings of of Terayama, emptying his mind of illusions, vain desires, and fantasies. He did not believe either prayers or spells had any effect or would have moved any being in the cosmos in any way. If religious belief had any role to play in human life, he thought, it was to strengthen the character and the will so that man might be ruled by justice and compassion and might face death without fear. He was impatient with his father's preoccupation with auspicious days, dreams, amulets, and prayers, a preoccupation that led to vacillation and inaction. He was un- angered by the unnecessary sacrifice of the stonemason, both for its cruelty and its waste of talent. So... If religion had any role to play in human life, he thought it was to strengthen the character and the will so that man might be ruled by justice and compassion and face death without fear. I have thought similar things. (laughs) I have definitely thought similar things, especially when faced with 
all the combatants and and condemnation and persecution that comes with religion and the various religions that exist I feel like so often the point or the purpose is lost in the combatants and the differences and you know a spiritual self-awareness that being whatever it is that you find yourself resonating with and you find grows you as a human, as a person, um, as, as someone or a being reaching their full potential, whatever that is outweighs the organization of religion that causes you to tell other people they are wrong (laughs) because we are all our own selves and therefore how will you tell someone that their spirituality is wrong i just don't quite understand (laughs) so uh i think in the attempt to uplift our own spirituality or our own religion in the attempt to uplift that and those ideals. If at any time you are trampling on someone else's, you've already lost your focus. You've already lost your focus. And that includes, like, the sort of patronization that comes with, like, "Mm, I don't want to bring missionary into this, but, like, (sighs) (laughs) the assumption is, that yours is what people need and they would be so much better off if they just believed what you believe is uh, (laughs) i'm so i'm so done with that narrative but um for the most part that comes from a place of like wanting to spread you know that proverbial good word Um, but also that comes with a lot of patronization and assumption and presumption. And, uh, I think if you consistently for myself, if you consistently focus on what your spiritual awareness looks like, what your spiritual fulfillment of potential and wholeness and oneness looks like and feels like and sounds like and tastes like the more you focus on that the more you begin to understand what it is to really relate to your fellows and the implications of upholding a religion above actual spiritual awareness i don't want to go all the way into that again today because we definitely have touched on that before here but i think i don't know i think this this passage really really highlighted something that i do believe which is um in the same way that fables and stories and and bedtime stories for children are meant to outline um, a pathway of thinking to get to a moral, um, I think is the same way I would prefer, uh, my own personal religion to be built upon. Uh, and I, I think in realizing that whether it's fact or fiction, whether it's a belief or a fable to you or to someone else, it can still be something that benefits you as a person if you allow it to truly strengthen your character as a person and a human being um, that's ruled by justice and compassion for your fellows. And if it's that, if that's what it is truly at its core, then yes, you are right. You are correct. You are correct for yourself. And there is no need for anyone else to be correct by your standard. (laughs) Uh, Because, my God, so much war is waged. 
has been waged, will be waged <laughs> over religious belief and righteousness and how that sort of bleeds into the way governments are run and policies are formed and then it goes on and on and on and on and on and on because we just simply must be correct and if we are correct then they must be incorrect right obviously and that that sort of thinking gets us all freaking tangled up every time it gets us all twisted and looking in the wrong direction um so i really appreciated that passage but anyway <laughs> moving right along <laughs> we're gonna go into the next segment Okay, <laughs> time for unicorn tales. I, I'm not gonna lie, I just was stuck on the internet for a little bit, honestly distracting myself. This segment is gonna be difficult as shit because <laughs> I find it hard to frame my perspective and view on this topic. Um, I'm still figuring out the language for myself and I'm still figuring out what this looks like for me, but androgyny. <laughs> okay. So, uh, this, mm, it's, <laughs> I haven't even started and I <laughs> already don't know what the fuck I want to say. Um, I talk quite I speak quite often about androgyny um for me it is an ideal a fulfilling of potential for me for my most my most self (laughs) most me very much I (laughs) Uh, so as man as articulate as I see myself or perceive myself like I really get flipping tongue-tied and like I always stumble on this even though it's actually very important to me (laughs) so I was reading again this library book that is due Heaven's Net is Wide (laughs) by Leanne Hearn um and I wrote myself a quote. Now, this quote is... <laughs> it's stuck up under page 95. And I'm trying to figure out if something actually on this page triggered this. Or if I was just... If it was just like a springboard or a train of thought following a random phrase that was vaguely related. But, um, I think this is a quote that even as I'm stumbling and babbling right now on the word androgyny itself when I wrote this quote on hold on hold on July 21st 2019 when I wrote this quote I was like yes that's that's the shit I'm talking about that's what I mean that's what I'm yes that (laughs) so I'm just gonna I'm gonna read the quote And then I'm going to allow the quote that I wrote to help me say what the fuck I'm trying to say. Um, A peaceful anonymity can be found in androgyny. Unhindered by the cues and preconceived notions of gendered attire and and presentation. I could have written more and I could have been more detailed but that i mean that's the crux of it unhindered by the cues and clues and preconceived notions of heavily gendered clothing and presentation there is a peace and a completeness and rightness that i feel when i feel like i am living my best like midline balanced 
energy life. <laughs> so I I don't know. I find most attractive um, traits or combinations of traits and characteristics that come together into an experience that isn't obviously uh, heavily female or heavily male or heavily feminine or heavily masculine. Those things are beautiful, stunning, yes. Like imagery and people who epitomize femininity singularly are beautiful. And those that singularly epitomize masculinity are also beautiful. But like there is like just like the holy grail of how I like to see myself and how I who I'm really drawn to toward especially like romantically or admiration wise are those excuse me, that I see and encounter and those moments in myself that I see that resonate the most and the most deeply. Um, I have been on a conscious journey of performative self and presentation um, as I become more familiar with my identifiers and my orientations romantically and emotionally and... Uh, even platonically that kind of have helped me see that I my quest for balance and my affinity for balancing my thoughts and spirit and energy they feel I feel like very high vibrating at my most androgynous moments like and it's not it's not simply like the state of visually being confusing to people or anything like that um it's not so shallow as that it's again like also the combinations of traits and characteristics that illustrate the ongoing balance of masculine and feminine, the ongoing balance of energies that aren't quite a duality, but really a pantheon of um, masculine and feminine within masculine, masculine and feminine within feminine. Uh, the fact that there's no true dichotomy because all can be found in all, <laughs> which sounds overly meta and like high thoughts but it's actually something I think about a lot um so in a journey of body positivity and self-love and the struggle with reconciling how I see myself and how I feel and then ultimately how I would like to present has been difficult because as much as I adore my curves sometimes when I want to when I want to perform or present um, more of the masculine energy that I'm feeling that day the more um, testicular energy the more controlled and um, fine lines and and angles I don't get to do that and it creates like I get irritated because <laughs> so I'm like I want I want my three-piece suit and I want it to fit me a certain way mm, but the way these triple D's are set up <laughs> or like um, tailored pants some days I just want a good ass pair of fancy pants like trousers <laughs> and all I want to do is express my, like, 50s gangster self. And it's difficult, oftentimes, you know, with my, my precious little fupa and um, the audacious set of my hips. <laughs> and it gets frustrating. Or 
sometimes when I want to really lean into the femininity um, and then I find like (laughs) my haircut or my hairstyle isn't like lending itself to that the way I want it to or I can't figure out my freaking makeup that day (laughs) or something weird like that or like none of my shoes are expressing what I want them to express it's like stupid little stupid little moments that create discrepancies between how I am feeling and how I would like to present um versus how it's actually translating or when I'm looking in the mirror how how it's come together and it's like not quite what I want it frustrates me because I really I really like to be understood and I very much um I very much value um being being seen for for the trueness and the and the authenticity of what I'm feeling that day <laughs> um so in in that journey it has been uh a learning experience to understand performative self and and where that falls where that seems to fall short um, to reality and and what your vision is for yourself, what my vision is for myself. And like, I have seen this as a dialogue oftentimes in, in the queer community, which is why this is in uh, the Unicorn Tales segment. Because... <laughs> Because we're at a time where it feels a little more safe and comfortable to explore and express ourselves in ways that have henceforth been seen as not normal or uh, weird or, you know, unnatural. Because we're in a time where it's safer to explore and express that, like we've had to have these dialogues and we've had to come up with language and figure out what that how that language translates to our own personal experience and how it informs our interactions with ourselves and with others in our community and outside our community and the word androgyny I think is one that has many different Uh, meanings to people so for me a part of my journey in presentation and identification uh, has been figuring out what it actually means to me and what has the potential to mean and how it um, how it acts in my life how it is illustrated in my life and myself um And how sometimes, or oftentimes, really, presentation has nothing to do with orientation. uh, Which is how you may find yourself running into folks who appear to you to be very feminine and and, um, soft and pretty. and, And look, as far as you know, to be a woman and she and her. And they will tell you... My pronouns are he and they. And in your head, you're like, what? Why? Oh, because this has, presentation has no real bearing on identification or sexual or romantic orientation. And we're learning that. Uh, We're learning that as time goes on and accepting, accepting that. Because, you know, it's like trying to fit a square into a circle (laughs) like you you can't force someone's presentation to directly align with their their identification or orientation or vice versa and how you perceive their presentation to be you can no longer respectfully do that because now we know they have no bearing on one another so these presentations are truly how they are expressing 
themselves and how they wish to be seen um, and how they feel most comfortable. And I always joke (laughs) that my pronouns are she, her, and daddy because (laughs) I'm very much, I'm very much she, her. I mean, they, if you like, I have no qualms with they because technically, yeah, we're all they. (laughs) We are all they uh, when we're all together. (laughs) Even if you, even if you identify as he or she, when you, when we are together, we are they. Anyway, side note, that's a, oop, that's a footnote. (laughs) Um, I, like, have this part of myself that is, um, that is channeling that controlled and cool and collected, like, testicular energy that's contained. There's something controlled and centered and, like, uh, I don't know, calculated and precise that that is sort of a description of of masculine energy now that is in again that is in feminine and masculine uh that is a side of the token for for masculine and feminine energy it exists in both it is exemplified in different ways um but for me like I enjoy the idea of versatility and I, I, I see myself in a versatile, through a versatile lens. I am a verse. I am switch. I am, I am, I am those things. I am the leader and I can be led. I am the dominant, but I may submit. I, you know, I, I actually am both of those things so for me I enjoy most being able to present that balancing that I want to be able to illustrate you know my full spectrum of the way I see myself so for me that is what my androgyny is my androgyny is um if you look at me and you want to get to know me and you think I'm fine, but like you also can't figure out if I'm into you or the other team or not, I enjoy that. <laughs> I don't want you to necessarily be able to say like yes or no, one or the other, because the answer is not one or the other. The answer is all. <laughs> I love all y'all. Okay. And I can be all the things. I am not just feminine. I am not just masculine. I, I am a balancing of both. And I strive to always balance both and therefore tap into a fuller potential of my own state of being. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm attributing this quote to myself. I wrote it. I meant it. And I, and I hope that it resonates with someone else and and gives someone else the words and the framework with which to express themselves for for its own sake and to to another person a peaceful anonymity can be found in androgyny unhindered by the cues and preconceived notions of gendered attire and presentation don't see my sundress and assume that you may dominate me. Don't see my dress pants, my trousers, and assume that assume that I'm too hard or that I have no softness. Just stop assuming. I don't want you to be able to assume anything from my clothes. <laughs> don't bother is the point. <laughs> don't bother trying to assign me things based on how you view my clothing so ultimately i want my clothing to eliminate someone's ability to do that to me to eliminate someone's ability to put me in a box somewhere and assume that they know what they need to know about me no i want you to have to speak to me if that's what you want to do i want you to have to approach me if that's what you want to do i want you to allow me to flirt 
back and reciprocate if that's something you want to happen. I want I want you to be informed by your experience of me and not your perception of me. That is really what I want. And that that is the freedom I want for myself and for anyone interacting with me. That's the freedom I want. And I find that freedom in androgyny and I'm I strive for it in my presentation. I'm trying to piece together like what my cohesive style is currently as a 26-year-old still trying to figure that part out and how it looks and what it looks like um clothing-wise and where I shop and what sizes they have and what section I'm shopping in and yada 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 yada. That is what I'm striving for. So that is uh, my unicorn tail for today. Um, that is a detailed, you know, an in-depth look into the window of my queer experience. <laughs> and hopefully it resonates with someone. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening to that. <laughs>listening to uh yeah I really just hope this at some point made sense um because I I do ramble I can in fact and do very much ramble uh so I really hope that some of this made sense and I really really want for some of it to resonate Um, this episode is sponsored by the Indianapolis Central Library. (laughs) I'll be right, I'll be riding my bike down there and walking over there to get the books real quick. And I, (laughs) I pride myself. I guess I pride myself, but also it's just like a funny little thing about me. I go into the library with no sense of what I'm going to get. And I go up and down the aisles and I see what draws me. First of all, I do not, this is a, a slight soapbox. I do not pick up, check out, or read books with photos on the front. I don't do it. I feel like if there wasn't, if there wasn't like, I don't know. There's something about artwork on the cover of a book that says, this story is gonna be imaginative as hell (laughs) and that's probably biased because it's not that I don't value photography at all I I do very much value and admire photography but when I'm looking for a book I am looking for artwork that was specifically crafted for a story like handpicked type shit okay um so I go through the aisles and if they're really it's the binding that I'm looking at (laughs) that draws me because technically that's how the books are lined up on the shelf with the binding facing outward. So I'm going through and literally like you see in movies or sitcoms, like I'm dragging my fingers lightly down the aisle across the books, just feeling my way around. Where are you taking me? Where are we going today? And I go through and within 10 minutes, I have like 12 fucking books and I have to put five of them back because I know for a fact I'm not going to read all these, especially if they're really good and I have to like close them and digest for a day. So this is like a weird library process that I have, but this episode is sponsored as far as I'm concerned by the Indianapolis Central Library because so much of my podcasting is centered on books and stories and passages that I read and that resonate with me. So I very much attribute <laughs> this whole episode is notes from books from a book that I uh, that I made um, after visiting the library. <laughs> um, so I really hope that some of this made sense. I hope all of it made sense, but you know, can't win them all. <laughs> um, 
this is what it sounds like when library books they do in fact be due (laughs) and i'm gonna have to turn mine in really soon and i wanted to get all of these ideas out before i pass this book along to the next lovely person (laughs) um so thank you so much for listening my name is okara imani and i'm just happy to be here Thank you.